How can we live out the story of Jesus? I think this is a great question and one that for followers of Jesus should be in the front of our minds. How can we live out the story of Jesus? Think about it this way. Tomorrow is Monday or Monday if you prefer. It's the start of a new work week. So with this week, how can we live out the story of Jesus? Where we work in that space, how can we live out the story of Jesus? Where we go to school, how can we live out the story of Jesus? In our homes, how can we live out the story of Jesus? This question is good because it provides perspective for us. And doesn't Jesus invite us to follow him? There are many instances in the Gospels where we find Jesus looking at individuals and saying to them, come and follow me. We see that over and over again. And then we read things like this in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, and that phrase there, follow me, in the construction of the sentence means to come behind or to accompany or to be my disciple. So if you follow me that way, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. See, Jesus does extend this call for us to follow him and to live for him, to come behind him, to accompany him, and to be his disciple. It's a beautiful call. And it should be one that we follow in a regular kind of way. And we have the opportunity to do that with a community of faith. That's called the church. I was reading a book recently by Scott McKnight called One Life. And in this book, he talks about following Jesus and what that means. And one of the suggestions that he gives regarding following Jesus is this. A fundamental point that is found throughout the New Testament is that Jesus' kingdom is to be embodied in a church of ordinary people just like you and me who do this, who celebrate the Lord's Supper, who follow the Lord's way together, and who embody the kingdom life as much as they can. One of the things I'm really grateful for in life are parents who modeled this for me, the beauty and the value of connecting to a family of faith, to a church. My parents trusted in the leadership and forgiveness that God offers through Jesus and began following him when I was just a young boy. And everything changed for our family. My parents connected to a church and it's there 
they found belonging. And we began to grow our friendship with God. We grew to love Jesus in deeper ways. Throughout my ministry career, I have been in four churches now, two in the state of Indiana, one in the state of Illinois, and now here. And in each place, in each church, my family grew to love Jesus in deeper ways as we connected to our family of faith. Each church imperfect, yet beautiful, and communities of faith where we celebrated the Lord's Supper, where together we followed the Lord's way and we embodied the kingdom life as much as we possibly could. I love the church. I love this church. I love you. And there is great value in connecting to a church family and in following Jesus this way. Scholar Ronald Roheiser states, following Jesus and embracing a family of faith like this, being a disciple of Jesus always demands a connection with some concrete historical community a church. And I think that's something for us to consider. Being a disciple of Jesus always demands a connection to a historical community of faith. We call that the church. We also call it being better together. So here is how I would like to approach this today. I want to ask three questions. And then we'll look at a passage of scripture and we'll get to our takeaways. Here are the three questions. What is a church? Maybe you're wondering that. Exactly what is a church? Question number two, who is the church for? And then question number three, if we did not exist as a church, what changes in the communities around us? And we'll personalize this to Valley Point Church, if we didn't exist, if we were not here in this location, what changes or what is potentially missed in the communities around us? I love talking about the church and as we step back into this theme of being better together, I hope you know and understand that this is so much more than a cliche or a mantra or a tagline. This is a way of life. And it's how we can effectively live out the story of Jesus. So three questions, a passage of scripture, and then some takeaways. Are you ready? A big idea, and then we will ask and answer these three questions. Here's our big idea for today. The church, it's a place of learning, growing, and becoming better together. That's what it should be, a place of learning, growing, and becoming better together. Okay, let's step into these questions. Here's question number one, what is a church? Well, I think in answering this, you have to go to where this word is used in Scripture, and then 
I think you also have to look at the early designations of how the first followers of Jesus referred to themselves, which is actually something fascinating to discover. So what is a church? Let's think about this. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is this. It refers to any public assembly or gathering of people in a political, a religious, or informal sense. Now, what's unique about this word ekklesia as found in Scripture is that it wasn't necessarily a religious term. It refers to any gathering but it always refers to a gathering of people and not a place. So in thinking about this Greek word used to describe a group of people, we can answer what is a church this way. It's a group of people. It's us. It's a gathering of people. I love how biblical scholar N.T. Wright kind of phrases this. He says that the church is a group of people announcing the truth about Jesus and modeling the message. Or we could phrase it this way. The church is a group of people living out the story of Jesus. That's the truth of Jesus. And determining that we will model the message. We talked a little bit about this last week in terms of how the messengers those who have trusted in Jesus alone to rescue them, are tasked with taking this message and being a person who models it. And that's what we see here. The church is a group of people. It's us. Choosing to live out the story of Jesus, certainly in imperfect ways, but also determining that we will model this message. And that may be why One of the early designations of believers as found in Acts chapter 9 is the way. That's how they referred to believers. And there was a group in Acts chapter 9 that were trying to chase them down and disrupt their activity because they weren't too excited about how they were talking about this resurrected Jesus. And as they started this process, they referred to these individuals as the way people who were seeking to live out the story of Jesus. They were modeling the message. So what is a church? Well, it's a group of people like us seeking to live out the story of Jesus while we model the message of truth and hope that is found in the person of Christ. Question number two, who is the church for? Well, the church is for everybody. And I know that might sound a little simplistic, but I do think it is true, especially when you look at Scripture. The church is for every single one of us. Think about it this way. The church is for those who love it. I think it's also for those who hate it and maybe want to deconstruct it a little bit. The church is for all those groups. The church is for those who agree and for those who don't agree with it. The church is for those who think Jesus is great and get really excited about Jesus. It's also for those who aren't exactly sure what to do about Jesus 
or if he is for them. The church is for believers and for non-believers. The church is for those who are down and out and confused. It's for the broken, the desperate, the depressed, the hopeless, the addicted, and the abused. The church is also for the successful, the educated, and the accomplished. See, the church is for everybody. And that's the power of ecclesia. It brings a group of diverse people together who probably wouldn't get together for any other reason. Then they are seeking to be better together as they live out the story of Jesus, where they live, work, and play. That is the beauty and the power of ecclesia and being better together. A group of people that is greater than the sum of its parts. So who is the church for? It's for everybody. Everybody. And that's great news for us. Question number three. If we did not exist as a church, what changes? And again, let's personalize this and think about Valley Point Church because that's our community of faith. So if we didn't exist What changes around us? And what is potentially missed because we're not here, but remember the church isn't just a place, it's also a group of people who go. So where we live, work, and play, if we didn't exist, what changes around us? I think this is kind of a disruptive question because it makes you consider what am I doing and how I, am I impacting the world around me? And this is something that I think about all of the time as a leader in this church and as I cast vision and dream about what God wants for all of us and how we can love God and love others and how we can be transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. As I think about all of this, it's kind of a disturbing question. It disrupts, which is okay, I think we need to wrestle with this. If we didn't exist, what changes around us? Would anybody even know it? I pair this question and these thoughts with Jeremiah chapter 29, where we find the prophet Jeremiah talking to a group of exiles. And God gave Jeremiah the prophet a message to give to these exiles who were living in a different place. They weren't in their home. They weren't comfortable at all. And Jeremiah from God began to talk to the people and he said this, I want you to work for the peace and prosperity of this city. Not necessarily your home, not what you long for, but your adopted city where you live now in exile. Do this. Pray for and work for the peace and prosperity of this city. This is our home, and I think most of us love where we live and we enjoy it. But I often ask myself, am I praying for the peace and prosperity of this city and our communities? Am I working for that? 
And so that just helps me to think about this question in fresh ways and in new ways. If we didn't exist, if we weren't serving here, if we weren't loving here, would anybody know it and would anybody miss us? So I think there are a couple of ways we can approach this question and a few ways we can answer this. One of the ways is we can look at the value that a church brings to its surrounding communities from an economic standpoint. And there is actually research on this. University of Pennsylvania sociologist Ram Nan has been researching the economic value of churches for a little over two decades, and he refers to it as the halo effect. You can actually Google this, and you can find all of his research. It's fascinating. So Nan and a research group calculated the economic value of a dozen different churches in Philadelphia. 10 Protestant churches, a Catholic parish, and a synagogue. And what they found is that churches do bring economic value to the communities around them. And you can read about that and get all of the data. They attach numbers to this. And it's very interesting. So that's one way I think we can answer this question. If we weren't here, if we didn't exist at all, how does that impact the communities around us from an economic standpoint? And again, the research states churches do bring economic value. So that's one way to look at it. But I would like to look at it from a different lens that moves beyond stats and numbers on a spreadsheet and into the realm of people and eternity and impact because I believe that's the heart of this question. If we didn't exist, what changes? So with your Bible or your device, I want you to join me in the New Testament book of Romans and we will spend some time in Romans chapter 12. I will begin reading with verse 3 in just a moment. Here at Valley Point Church, we take the word of God seriously. We open it up consistently, and we read it, and we allow it to shape and inform us. And that's what we plan to do with Romans chapter 12. This book is written by the Apostle Paul to the Romans to reveal God's sovereign plan of salvation. That's part of the purpose of the book. The second purpose is to help Jews and Gentiles alike know that they can be part of God's saving plan, which is really unique and dynamic because Jews and Gentiles had a really difficult time coming together in this context and in this culture. So Paul writes to the Romans to say, look, God has an amazing plan to rescue you and give you eternal life. And guess what? It's for Jews and Gentiles. You will be better together with God's plan of salvation. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. And then a third purpose in the book is that Paul exhorts and challenges the Jews and Gentiles alike to live righteous and harmonious lives, to be unified, to come together and be better together. So what we find in Romans, here's the breakdown. In chapters one through eight, we have God's great plan of salvation, where he talks about how he came to rescue us, and he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. And when we trust 
in the saving work of Jesus alone, and we don't add anything to that, well, we will have a forever friendship with God. That's chapters 1 through 8. And then in chapters 9 through 11, we find how Jews and Gentiles are part of this plan together. And then what we find, and I think this is captivating, in chapters 12 through the end of the book, or chapter 16, we find this challenge to live in a unified kind of way. And it kicks off with these words here in chapter 12, verse 3. I would encourage you just to follow along as I read through a lengthy chapter here. And I want you just to listen for specific words and phrases that fall out of this passage that give us clues on how we can be better together and we can live out the story of Jesus, all of which answers the third question. What happens if we're not here? Look for all of this as we read. Here we go. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Better together, right? Verse 6, in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And I love how it ends with showing kindness. That's actually a gift. And by the way, it's a gift that is really needed in our culture. So if that's you, if you are kind, go all out in showing kindness to others. If you're not kind, well, you have another gift and you need to pursue that as well, okay? Here's verse nine. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. There's another version of scripture that talks about how your love should be sincere. As you think about loving the people around you, be sincere in that love which has the idea of being unfeigned. Or do this, love this way, without hypocrisy. Don't fake it. So don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and do this. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Okay, if we did not exist as a church, what changes? Well, I think what changes is a body, a community of faith that does a few things when they gather, but also when they scatter, where they work, live, and play. And here's the list that just falls out of Romans chapter 12. Things that we should commit ourselves to or what would be missed if we weren't here. How about this? A gift-based ministry that serves people. Right? God has given to each and every one of us a gift to be used in service for others, not ourselves. And if we weren't here, where's the gift-based ministry that's Serving other people. How about sincere love? It's not fake. Goodness. Think about that. A community of faith should bring goodness into every place that we go. My goodness, we should make things better. Honor of people, patience, prayer, hospitality, a countercultural approach to blessing others and not cursing. If you observe what's happening in our world, there's a lot of cursing of people, and I'm not necessarily talking about words. But think about how God the Father blessed his son when he was being baptized. And he blessed him this way. He said, this is my son, and with him I am pleased Right? Like that's a blessing from God the Father to God the Son. And I believe it's the responsibility of the church to bless people, not curse them, not believe in them, but to say, in you I am pleased and in you I believe. That's the opportunity and that's countercultural right now. How about a lot of humility and peaceful interactions? That's the list. Now, let me ask you, if these things were taken out of our community, is it a better place or not? And some of you are shaking your heads because you understand if these things do not exist in the communities around us because Valley Point is not here, then I believe our communities would be missing out on a lot of wonderful things that are absolutely needed right now. So just think about that list. Feast your eyes on it. Because the church exists for everybody and God has called us to this location, to the communities around us, so that we can bring these things into our places of work and into our schools and into our homes. And by the way, this is a list of really good stuff. It's great. Just an observation, 
as I move about in our communities and have conversations with a lot of people, more of this is needed. A lot more of it. And I think that's our responsibility as followers of Christ. And this is how we live out the story of Jesus. So I think it's time for the church to step up and into what God wants for us so that we bless the communities around us. And there is a great sense of our value and what we bring. Not that people are applauding us or lifting us up, but they're just grateful for who we are. And we get, this is Jesus working in and through all of us, doing these kinds of things and having deep impact. If Valley Point wasn't here, the communities around us should miss us. So let's pursue that, okay? Let's do that. Two takeaways for us. Number one, for the Christ follower, if that's you, I want you just to hear this. Being with others regularly is an essential element of Christian discipleship. I don't think we can really say, I'm passionate about following Jesus without some connection to a historical body. That's just what you see throughout church history. It's what you see in the corpus of Scripture. The body needs you. And by the way, you need the body as well to lift you up and to hold you accountable and to weep with you and to laugh with you and do everything else that God has designed us to be. So if you are a Christ follower, being with others regularly, this is an essential, like it's really needed to be part of a faith community, and I'm so thankful for you. Takeaway number two, for those unsure about following Christ, I want you to hear this. The church is for you, okay? The church is for you. And maybe it doesn't always feel like that, or maybe you have been wounded by the church in some way as part of your story of following Jesus. Every church is imperfect. Yet somehow God brings ecclesia together, a diverse group of people, to be a bright light and to make a difference in the communities around them. And he's doing that here. So if you are unsure about following Christ or if you have been wounded by the church, I want you to know it is still for you. It is not an exclusive club reserved for those who appear to have it all together spiritually. So join us on the journey of investigating the claims of Christ. Back to our big idea. The church, it's a place of learning, growing, and becoming better together. May God give us all the courage and the passion to step into this season in front of us, to link arms with our faith family, because that's what we should be doing, and living out what we see in Scripture so that we are unified and bringing joy and making a difference where we live, work, and play. May God help us to do that.